Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. The mission of Vows to Keep is to help couples develop a biblically healthy marriage through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. They desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now, here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio. I'm David. And I'm Tracy. And we made Vows to Keep. In this two-part series titled, I Am My Beloved's and He Is Mine, we're going to be talking about how our relationship with God and our relationship with our spouse runs in parallel. We're going to look at our dating relationship with our spouse and also how God courts us into relationship with Him, how dating leads to engagement, and how also we are engaged to our wonderful bridegroom, Jesus And then our marriage and how at the beginning of our relationship with our husband or at the beginning of our relationship with God, we say, I'm always going to be faithful. I'm going to always feel this way about my spouse. I'm going to be faithful to them. I can't imagine being isolated from them or doing anything to hurt them to where we are today. How did we end up in this spot down the road several miles in our relationship, both with God and with our spouse? Oftentimes we don't realize it's the sin in our life that causes that gap. We're going to parallel, like David said, our relationship with our spouse, and our relationship with God. And we're going to get our verses today from Genesis chapter 3. We hope that through listening to Vows Keep Radio, you have gotten a glimpse of our passion for godly marriages. So you're not going to be too surprised when we read some verses out of Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon is a book in the Old Testament, if you're not familiar with it. It's written by King Solomon, and it beautifully and really poetically depicts the love between a man and his wife. So oh, yeah. the book starts off in their courtship and see if you can just picture this in your mind right now. We're going to read from chapter two, verses two through six. And I have to read this portion because this is the young woman talking about her guy. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall and let his banner over me be love. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. Now we want to ask you today, does this sound like your dating story? Boy, Tracy, I remember a lot of our dating times with great, awesome memories, and and they were very fulfilling. I can remember on our second date, do you remember this? Going to the Strata Bowl. Yeah, so now we have to explain what the Strata Bowl is. (laughs) The Strata Bowl is this big hole in the ground in the Rapid City, South Dakota area. You can get on Google Maps and I encourage you to do it. It's a beautiful, beautiful area where they used to actually launch hot air balloons because of the the way the geography is. It's it's totally shielded from wind. And it is a beautiful, almost like a canyon, except it's it's really a bowl where there's, there's high cliffs. And Tracy and I went on our second date for a hike up into this area. And it became a place that was very special to us. On our second date there, we took a picture and we were just talking about this picture this morning because it actually hangs in our house. The following week when we had another date, David had taken that picture and put it in a picture frame along with a poem that he wrote me that basically said, I'm going to marry you someday. Pretty sweet. And then about nine months later, he proposed to me at the Stratable. Bowl. So that's some of our dating memories. Really, dating is a time that a lot of us reflect on. We Think of it as an idyllic season, like nothing's going wrong, right? Everything is just perfect. We show each other our best sides. It's like we're walking in this real life garden of Eden. We go out of our way. Let me tell you, we went out of our way to be with each other. And to shower each other with affection, with love that would be 
like paradise, as if we were in the garden, as you said. But you know what? We walk together without any shame among the trees of love, as this Bible verse just points out. David, I think we could say we were kind of gaga in love, right? Absolutely. But a lot of times those kind of feelings lead to one of those define the relationship talks, right? Where you both sit down and you know that you're not messing around anymore. You start to talk about where this relationship is headed. We're not just casually spending our time together. Things are getting serious. If you've been a regular listener to Vows to Keep Radio, you'll know that we not long ago did a series on dating. In our dating, we had some very strongly defining conversations very early on. It was a way that we could just totally tell we were going to follow wherever God would lead us. So it became clear to us at a certain point in time, as Tracy said, that I was going to propose to her. And I don't think it was a shock to you because the the place I bought the ring called. Do you remember being in the parking lot one time when I get the the phone call? Definitely. They said, hey... David, your ring is ready to be picked up. And of course, she's close enough to me. She could hear the other person on the other end of the phone. So then I really knew it was coming. Wah, wah, wah. It wasn't a shock, but of course, I didn't know when and where, right? Maybe you're married right now. Maybe you're dating. Maybe you're engaged. But let me tell you this fact from God's word. You have more engagement stories than you might realize. Think about that for just a minute. Because when you first became a Christian, you invite Christ to be your savior It's like he proposes to you. He tells you his heart. He tells you every promise in his word is meant for you. He tells you he's never going to let you go. And then he does something really cool. He even kind of gives us an engagement ring of sorts because he places the Holy Spirit as the seal on our hearts. My friend Janet wears a simple gold band. That's her wedding ring. Maybe you wear the kind of bling that takes 10 years to pay off. You certainly don't. (laughs) (laughs) I bought that ring on a college budget. I'm somewhere in the middle. But the ring that your new fiance just gave you, you know what? That's not going anywhere. You don't even care what it looks like because you know you are committed, even though you haven't said I do yet. And it is the same thing with the Lord. His engagement ring to us is this third person of the Trinity. It is the Holy Spirit that lives within you if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. I need the Holy Spirit in my life. You need the Holy Spirit in your life because that's God's omnipresence with us always, never letting us go. No matter how we act, no matter how many times we fail Him, we know we've got that seal on our hearts like it talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And really, this is what He did with Adam and Eve in the garden as well because His presence was with them always. It was just Him and them. I want you to picture this for just a minute. Adam and Eve, when they were in paradise, they talked every day with God. They, they walked right beside God on the paths in the garden. That is mind-blowing. They were close. I can't even imagine how perfect, how wonderful it must have been. Nothing was even on the scene to cause any disruption to their unity. They wanted to be with him. He wanted to be with them. It was perfect. Not only were Adam and Eve experiencing each other, for the first time with no sin in their way. They were experiencing what many of us felt like when we first became Christians. Just like newlyweds, they were walking in perfect harmony with each other and they were with God. Nothing marred their path throughout the whole garden. So David and I shared our part of our dating story. Now we want to move into the newlywed phase. Now, of course, because we got married in November, that meant one of the first elements of us being newlyweds was Christmas. And I remember our first Christmas together very fondly. Yeah, me too. Because I was so excited to give you a Bible with your new last name inscribed on it. Do you remember what I wrote inside of it? 
I do. You wrote me a note that said, highlight this thing like crazy, underline circle, date stuff, make this Bible your workbook, and then pass it on to someone that's later to come in our life. And we would go to bed with each other each night and wake up each morning, and we were with our best friend. Literally, our whole future was ahead of us, and we were so excited. So many delights, so many surprises in those first few months. But you know what? It's not all delightful when you're first married. And some of it was actually quite surprising. A couple months after we got married, I fell on the ice and had to have this gigantic cast on my arm, and I couldn't shower by myself. And <laughs> oh, then I remember that well. Right after I got the cast off, like two days later, I got my finger shut in the door, and so I had to have stitches in this big old cast. And so, again, couldn't shower by myself. So that well, was, That's a tough job when you're a newlywed man right. to shower your wife. But we had some things that weren't quite so delightful, like David getting mugged in our driveway. We had to move back in with mom and dad until our house was ready to be moved into again. Life threw some curveballs, but despite those, newlywed life seemed pretty idyllic. We were in this for life now, David. We could scale any wall as long as we were together. And I think that's how a lot of us feel when we become a new Christian. There is a huge learning curve for all of us, but also there's a hunger, there's a yearning to be close to our God. It's exciting and it's challenging, but you know what? You're confident that you're up to the task when you're that in that newlywed phase of your Christian relationship, just like you are in that newlywed phase of your marriage. I think we feel like it will always be awesome. I mean, how could we feel any other way? But in our new relationship with God, we dwell with him in the sweet garden of forgiveness he's provided. It becomes our new home. And this really heady, intoxicating feeling of being so close to God is so new. It's so real and exciting. We say things like, you know what? I'm going to read the Bible every day. I'm going to start going to church every Sunday. It would never feel like a chore to me. We let our heart be soft soil where God is always free to pull out the weeds and the rocks of our sin and to keep our relationship with him fresh and pleasing to him. And in our new relationship with our spouse, we know we're always going to keep our vows to the nth degree. We would never isolate ourselves from them. We would never want to hurt our spouse purposely. We would always be open and honest about everything. Of course, we'd set aside our preference to fulfill our spouse's dreams. And I think this is where today's show is going to take a serious hinge point. What happens between the newlywed phase of our relationship and where you or I might be today? How did we get from there to here? We're not saying it's all terrible and awful in your relationship now, but here's the question. Are we still walking in the garden of our love? I want you to turn right now, if you're able to, to Genesis chapter three. If you're not, please just listen along here. We all know what happened in that familiar story at the beginning of the Bible. Adam and Eve, they're dwelling in the Garden of Eden. And we all know what happened when Eve wasn't walking with God one day. Satan caught her off guard. She was isolated. And he comes up to her and he plants this weed in her heart. It's this weed of doubt. We're going to start here in verse 1 in Genesis chapter 3. He said to the woman, Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You certainly will not die. The serpent says to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be fully opened. You'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. Can you make like a snake sound right now? Like a slithering (laughs) sound? (laughs) I could just hear it. In my estimation though, this was 
Eve's first misstep that fateful day. She made many others, but at first she listened to what Satan had to say. She could have done a number of things. She would not have had to have stood there. She could have walked away. She could have run over to God, told him what happened. Yeah, she could have been a little tattletale and it would have been fine. She could have let herself be reminded of God's truth, but instead she listened. And then she took it one step further. She turned her head to look at the fruit to consider its potential benefits to her. How could this be better for me? Yeah, I think Satan, you might be right. And when she did that, her heart started to turn away from God. Vows to Keep offers the support of biblical counselors to couples wishing to strengthen their marriage. As a not-for-profit organization, our commitment to Christ-like marriages includes providing much-needed services regardless of a couple's financial ability to offset the cost of Vows to Keep operations. Today, we ask you to consider financially helping a broken marriage to get whole again. Your gift could change lives. Give your gift to sponsor another couple's journey to a biblically healthy marriage by clicking the donate link at VowsToKeep.com. If you have a marriage question, please email questions at VowsToKeep.com. Vows to Keep will respond to you via email and perhaps use it on the air. Now let's rejoin Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. Let's pick up back in Genesis 3. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and it was pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And sin is about decisions just like this. Some of them are little, some of them are huge, but each of them have their own set of consequences. I can only imagine as that first bite went down. Here's Eve. She's choosing what God had never intended for her and her husband. She went against God's perfect plan and it separated, it broke what God had created. There was a bond that was severed. There was unity that was destroyed and at the center of all of it was sin. That was the culprit. So many times in my own life, I find myself believing that, you know what? This doesn't really matter. If I go ahead with this, it's got benefits and I can see the fruit will be good. And, and, and will I really hurt our marriage? Tell ourselves, hey, it's okay as long as no one else sees. You know what? I've been doing this a long time. I've got this one covered. I can handle it. I think I think that every time I set the cruise control on 73 miles an hour. But the thing is, David, our sin never just affects us. So let's finish actually right now. Genesis 3, 6. It says, she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And how true is it that in marriage, when one of us falls, we take the other one with us. One minute we're walking in the garden of our love and the next minute we are so flabbergasted at how our bond of love could have been so easily broken, either by our sin or our spouse's sin, but most of the time by both of our sin. And the timing can be different for everyone. For some, that honeymoon phase can last for like 15 years or longer. Other couples, like 15 minutes. And I'm not talking about when you have kidney stones on your wedding night or (laughs) when you spend your wedding night sleeping, sitting in an uncomfortable airport chair, waiting for your plane to Greece. (laughs) Those are called curveballs, and they're also true stories. But I'm talking about something different. I'm talking about how you respond when you get those curveballs. Do you rant and rave and let sin enter the scene? Or do you handle them with grace? Or how do you respond when your new husband that you just got married to shows some not so lovely character quality traits that you weren't aware of when you were dating or engaged? 
What we're saying is that even at a time in which your relationship just seems like it is in full bloom, like the garden of love that we're living in right now is incredibly beautiful. And all of a sudden we find that part of it has been dug up the moment we turn our heads to consider Satan's offer. Song of Solomon 2.4 says this, catch, a, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin our vineyards that are in bloom. Now at our house, it's uh, it's voles. <laughs> They're what dig up our yard and they leave all this carnage behind. <laughs> In the springtime, we wake up and find all these little tunnels inside of our yard. It's, it's infuriating really. Yeah, I wish it was a fox. <laughs> at least they're cute to look at. But you know what? It's not only the voles at our house that wreak this havoc. It's things like selfishness and pride and gluttony and greed and idolatry. And they are so sneaky. Our enemy sidles up to us just like he did to Eve. And he whispers in our ear and we engage in conversation with him just like Eve did. We listen closer as he promises that these temptations of selfishness, pride, gluttony, greed, idolatry, and more can deliver something to us that God never could. And we actually buy into the lie that God is withholding something from us. And it's something I've seen in so many times. We as men, we think we're about to indulge in pornography. We think, oh, this is going to be a luscious feast. But the first bite of that fruit, we see we have been offered something that is bitter and rotten. And the unity that it costs us in our marriage is huge. Lust, lies, deceit, gossip, slander, maybe those are the voles that are digging up the landscape of your relationship. For just a minute, I want you to reflect on what were those foxes? What were those voles at the beginning of our marriage, the beginning of our relationship? And what are they now? The reason why that's so important is because we can identify them and then we can combat them with the truth of God's word. We can seek forgiveness and we can go forward from here. Now, if we were all to, to gather around the table right now, I realize some of you are in your car, some of you are in your workplace, and some of you are at home. We're a long ways apart. But if we could all sit together and we could talk about what some of those things are that, that catch us up, you know what? I think we would find some pretty common themes. Something I think we would clearly see is that the problems, the sins that are affecting us, they are not truly unique to just you or I. Sin is everywhere, and it never just shows up on the scene of our relationship with our spouse, our relationship with our God, and exits out the back door without leaving something in its wake. In just a minute, we're going to talk, Tracy, about how God responds. But for a moment, let's focus on how you and I as people respond. Now, it's kind of a funny thought, right? Have you ever thought, David, okay, I respond to my own sin. I've never had that thought till I started looking at Adam and Eve's response to their sin in Genesis chapter 3 when they listened to the enemy's lies and they partook of the forbidden fruit. All of a sudden, I realized... There's a little bit of a pattern here that I think you and I are also following at times. Yeah, we see that in Genesis 3, 7. It says, at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. And here's where they respond. So they sew fig leaves together to cover themselves. How true is that? When we disobey God, just like Adam and Eve, we respond by trying to cover it up. We do what we can sometimes to pretend that, you know what, we never really sinned in the first place. We create something to cover up the shame that we feel for our sin. And Genesis 3.8 goes on to say that when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So what did they do? 
This is their response. They hid from the Lord God among the trees. And I think that is, again, that's our response. They realized that the leaves weren't enough to cover up their shame. So they found something bigger to use. They respond by hiding behind these trees. And their fear of being found out made them do the exact opposite of what they had always done in this relationship. Isn't it amazing that their sin caused them to run away from God rather than run to him? They were avoiding him at all costs. And then the worst thing they could imagine happened next. Let's pick up in verse 9 of Genesis 3. The Lord God calls to the man, where are you? Like, oh shoot, totally found out. (laughs) Busted, Nowhere to hide, nowhere to run. It's time to start talking. Maybe we could get out of this thing, David, by saying the right words, you think? Yeah, so Adam replies, you know what? I heard you walking in the garden. (laughs) Yikes, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. What a weird thing for him to say at that point in his life. They realize that God is onto them, so they respond to their sin by shifting the blame. Men, take note here. Adam tries to blame his sin on Eve. And of course, Eve tries to blame her sin on Satan. And here's how that goes down. In verse 11, it says, And God said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from that tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, Well, God, it was the woman that you put there with me. She gave me the fruit. And as a little footnote, I guess I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And she said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. As you could probably guess, blaming someone was about as effective as hiding behind the trees that God had created or posturing behind their own creation of the disguise of the fig leaves. All these things or failed efforts at solving their own problems. So David, that begs the question, what was their problem? That's a great question. As we wrap up today, the Bible says that they were afraid. What were they afraid of? I think the best way to answer that question is to ask it of ourselves. What are we afraid of when it comes to God? Why do you want to hide from God? Is everything between you and God out in the open? Or are there some things that you're kind of holding back on? That you're putting a fig leaf between you and Him? You see, I think for many of us, we believe the lie that God won't be pleased with me because I don't measure up. But that omits what Jesus Christ has done. Maybe for some of us, we think the consequences are just simply too steep. Maybe we think what I've done is unforgivable. It's a barrier that cannot be bridged. Maybe I might have to admit that I've actually done something wrong and I don't want to. I don't want to be proven wrong. I don't want to feel the condemnation that will come when everything I've done is out in the open. Maybe we fear that God would punish me by taking away something or someone that I love. But in reality, God's not the only one that we hide from, not the only relationship that we're afraid to be open in. Those fig leaves that Adam and Eve made didn't fool God, but you know what? They did a great job putting a barrier between Adam and Eve's intimacy. You can have a great conversation tonight with your spouse. What are the things that are causing us to bring about those fig leaves in our lives that prevent us from being close? But it doesn't have to stop there because we always respond to our sin and we can respond incorrectly or we can respond correctly and God always responds to our sin. We want to encourage you to tune in next week for part two in our series titled, I am my beloved's and he is mine. And in part two, we're going to focus on God's response and how 
that actually allows us to come completely out of hiding and enjoy a marriage which can be redeemed and restored. It's our prayer each week to bring biblical truth for your marriage with the hope that God would actually rule your marriage. We want to extend a heartfelt thank you to those who are already giving to this ministry each month. Did you know that Vows to Keep does more than a weekly radio program? We offer biblical marriage counseling for couples as well, regardless of a couple's financial ability. Consider times where you have received help with no ability to repay. This is the case for many couples who come to Vows to Keep. If you've derived benefit from this ministry, we would like to ask for your help to sustain and further extend the blessing for godly marriages. In order to continue to do what we're doing, we would like to ask for your support of $25 a month. To donate securely today, click the donate button at VowsToKeep.com. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.